as we close our eyes, meditation is the process of clearing out other thoughts and focusing in on one thought or idea. And the greatest challenge when coming to listen to a preacher or a word is being drowned out by thoughts of the day or other things that cloud our minds. So just for a moment, for a few seconds, I just want to ask that you clear your mind and you focus in. Let us ask God to teach us this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it teaches us. Thank you though we read it a hundred times. Every time we go back to it. Through your spirit dwelling within us. You open our eyes to see and understand more. Help us in our unbelief to believe more in you. Help us in our weakness to place you as the strength in our lives. And help us in our feebleness to make you the king and ruler over our lives. As we go to your word this morning, teach each one of us that we may know you deeper and we may understand better how to live lives that glorify you. You are king, you are awesome, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, I just want to make sure that this is still busy. It is busy recording. Right, so today we are having looking a look at the sow and the seed. And from our, our parable, I mean our Bible reading, Matthew 13 verse 12, to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. I'm going to just start here because it might seem so obvious. Well, if I don't listen, I can't hear, therefore I can't understand. Right? If I am listening... I will gain knowledge through hearing and therefore it will open my eyes and I will be able to understand. And so as we come this morning <clears throat> and as we start looking at the parables, the starting point is that we have to be listening. Yes, because if we aren't listening, we won't hear and then it will not be possible for us to understand. I just want to take you through an outline. Um, of the four, we're going to look at the four soils. It's, it's the sow and the seeds, but another way of looking at, at this parable is in terms of the four soils. So we'll have a look at the, the importance of the sow and the seed, the farmer and the seed, uh, then the seed on the footpath, the first soil, the seed on shallow soil, the seed among the thorns, and finally the fertile soil. So we're going to read it. Um, this this parable is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is intended to be, as Jesus said, and we'll come to, the easiest of the parables to understand. So, therefore, I have looked at an easy um, reading for us to go to because I don't want to make this complicated at all because it's supposed to be easy, and so that's my intention. So, once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat, 
while, at, while all the people remained on the shore. When, um, he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on the path, footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as, had, uh, as much as had been planted. Then he said, anyone who has ears should listen and understand. Later, when Jesus was alone with the twelve disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him about the par uh, the, what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30 60 or even a hundred times as much as had been planted so let's start off as we're looking at parables let's uh, let's have a look at what are parables the greek word um, for parables oopsie, um, is parabolin I, i'm probably not pronouncing it right my apology um, trans, uh, translated directly the word means to throw beside. Essentially, it means to put one thing by the side of another, and this for the sake of comparison. So you take two images, you put them aside. So in other words, it's a comparison. So Jesus is using parables as a comparison. He wants to compare taking something from everyday life that people see and know. And remember, when we look at Scripture, the best way to look at it is to look at the context in which it's spoken because then we better understand the message in the context. And so he's taking the spiritual truths and he's paralleling them with common human experiences in order for us to better understand those spiritual truths. 
Now I'm going to quickly move across to this section so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So this is Mark 4 verse 12. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. And when they hear what I say, they will, un they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Why did Jesus want to hide the truth from some? Because that's what we might ask, right? It says there, when they see what I do, they will not learn. Is God trying to hide things from people? Okay, well, this, this is referring to a prophecy um, or word spoken by Isaiah. Um, and this prophecy was specific to the Jewish people. Okay, and so it's important for us to understand that Jesus wasn't actually hiding anything. That was not his intention. The Jews had already been rejecting God's word. They had had the prophets preaching to them, speaking to them, telling them directly. They had the very temple. They had all the statutes, the decrees that God had given them. They had Micah who came and spoke very directly to them. And through all of this time, they had rejected God, rejected God, rejected God. They refused to take the word of God and apply it into their lives. So it's not that God was hiding or Jesus was trying to hide anything from them. God had been revealing it to them from the time that he spoke to Abraham. In fact, they are the people to which the word of God was given. So when we understand that he's saying this about the Jews, we can understand he's not hiding anything. They were the only ones that received the full revelation. Or the, and, and up to, until that point, the revelation in its fullness. Because obviously the full revelation came in the person of Jesus who was the Messiah. right? But they had received revelation. So it wasn't a hiding at all. You might remember the story of um, Pharaoh in Egypt, yes? When we read that, and I, I didn't take the time, my apologies, to go back and look at those scriptures. But when Moses presents himself to Pharaoh, in the beginning, Pharaoh's response is, is worded like this in the scriptures. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. But Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then later on, it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, that might, I, I, I'm picking that out as, as another comparison. Because the Jews had hardened their hearts repeatedly over time. Refusing to take and put into practice what God was teaching them. And very specifically, the teachers of the law were the ones doing this. Because they were the ones, the priests, the Levites... Those who served in the temple were entrusted with the words to minister before God. And they were the ones who really were um, not ministering to the people as it should be. And so they were hardening themselves against God's word. I would like to suggest that this scripture is simply God saying, In a similar way, you have hardened your hearts. Now I will allow your hearts to be hard. Why? Because my message needs to go to others. Because once Jesus came and once, once um, the church was established, the, the gospel, yes, it first went to the Jews, but it was spread out to all the Gentiles. I just want to read. Um, oh, sorry. Oh, I'm, not, I'm being impatient here. So, Gil, in Gil's commentary, it says The sense of the prophecy is with respect to the times of the Messiah that the Jews 
whilst hearing the sermons preached by him, whether with or without parables, should hear his voice and the sound of it, but not understand his words internally, spiritually, and experimentally. And whilst they saw with the eyes of the bodies the miracles he wrought, they should see the facts done, which could not be denied and gainsayed by them, but should not take in the clear evidence, the full proof, and certain demonstration given, whereby of his Messiahship. So, what, had, what would have happened had they believed him and said, you are the Messiah? Well, clearly, they would not have crucified him. And so it's all a part of what needed to take place in order for the fulfillment of Scripture. Let us go on. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Why did Jesus say this? Okay, so another thing. Why is he saying if you can't understand this one, you can't understand the others? So Matthew Henry, in his concise commentary, notes, the, words, the word does not leave abiding impressions upon the minds of men, because their hearts are not duly disposed to receive it. So what he's saying here, he's saying that through this parable, and in saying if you can't understand this one, what he's alluding to is if your heart is not prepared, prepared to receive this one, not only will you not receive this parable or understand it, but you will not understand anything that comes beyond it. And I'll get onto why exactly this parable is so critical. In Gill's commentary, it suggests that this is the most simple of all the parables to understand. Therefore, if the listener can't understand this one, there's little or almost no hope that they'll understand ones that are more complicated. So let's go to the parables. It starts off. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. So we have the farmer and we have the seed. The farmer represents the one who tells the gospel. That's not the preacher. It can be the preacher, because the preacher will preach the gospel. But it's any Christian who has an understanding of the gospel and tells it in any way to another person. That is the sower. So the farmer is anyone who takes this treasure because the kingdom of heaven is a treasure and the gospel is a treasure and simply shares it in any form to another person. The seed then is the gospel of good news about Jesus. The Greek word for word is um, that directly is logon which means a word that embodies an idea. So it comes from the root word lego um, which originally means lay down to sleep it's used later of laying an argument to rest. I, in other words, bringing a message to closure or moving to a conclusion, bringing it to closure. So, I would like to suggest that the message of the gospel is the conclusion of the words and the ideas and the principles that God gave us from the start through human history. So, in Jesus, He is the Word the Lego, he is the laying down to rest of the argument. He is the conclusion of all of this. And so the seed is the conclusion. It is Jesus himself, the word of God. Our Bible is a record of the word. Jesus is the word. As we know from John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
Okay, then we're going to, and we're going to look at this today in terms of the four soils. So the four soils are four types of hearts or minds. It's us. It's you and me. Anyone who's going to have the gospel spoken to us. There can also be four states in which we find ourselves. So there it can be, I'm going to put it in two camps. It can be four types of hearts, as in four people, the attitude of their heart. But it can also be any one of us in four different moments, how our hearts are. Because my heart is not exactly the same all the time, right? There's sometimes that I'm distracted. There's sometimes that I'm focused. So this depends on our state of mind at any one point in time. It might change due to our circumstances or more specifically how we choose to respond to circumstances. It will also be influenced by which kingdom voice we are giving our ear to. And I'll take you back. Remember I told you the story of the white dog and the black dog. Whichever you feed, we have the Holy Spirit living within us in all His fullness. But because we are not in our new bodies and we haven't been separated from the sin in us, we have potential for sin or good. And it depends which of those we are feeding. If we feed the sinful nature, we produce from that death. But if we feed to the Spirit, we produce from a blood. So our, our, our soil, my soil, your soil, is dependent on who you are feeding each moment of each day. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate it. So we're going to have a look at, to start, each one of these. The seed on the path. A path indicates a channel along which someone travels. Now in the New Testament communities, they were agriculturally based. And they were farmers, they were fishermen. This, you know, this, this parallel was perfect for them. Because they understood it. They lived it each day. Now, I am guessing that as many of you, as all of you are from the Philippines, you may have more of an experience with that than I would be from South Africa. When I went to visit um, my family in the Philippines, my wife's family, and we went on the farm, as I started to read this, I had a real picture in my mind. Because I could see, I remember what I walked to, the farms that were there. And I think the farms in St. Fabian, particularly, are very similar, probably, to the types of farms that were around during uh, the, the Israelite times and when Jesus walked the earth. Now, in Pangasinan, there are small areas of farm, and you don't own a whole area of land. If I go to South Africa, you have a fence around a massive, massive property, and you've got these tractors that plow it, and no one comes in. It's just one farmer who's a wealthy man plowing the land. That's not the case in the Philippines, well, they're not in San Fabio, because you will have many people owning small sections of land, and they will choose to plant or plow or sow onto one or two areas, depending on what they're able to afford or manage at that point in time. So now paths were created, same in, in San Fabian, paths were created as boundary lines around the farms. Why? Well, because the roads didn't go directly to every farm, and you were only farming a small area, so you would need to walk to where your farm was. And so in order not to trample on the growing crops, you would walk along paths. This soil obviously becomes compacted, it's almost impregnable, um, and it's close to impossible for any seed to get down into. 
especially because people are still walking along it. That, those paths are never ever plowed. Therefore, the, the, the soil is never broken up. It's left to be walked on. I would like to also suggest, so in, in terms of the sow and the seed, keep this in mind. That path would probably, possibly divide two people's plots of land. Yes? There won't necessarily be a fence there, but it'll just be a path that divides the two. Okay, so the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. So here on the path we have thoughts that carry away. Gills describes the hardened soil as a person whose mind is filled with other things suitable to their dispositions. As in, filled with other things that will take them away from what's been preached about or spoken about. Having other objects set before them whereby their minds are at once taken away from what they have been hearing. And constantly distracted so they do not even remember what was said. So there are two areas of it. Number one, you're sitting there, the gospel is being preached, but you have so much in your mind that you don't even hear it because you think of everything else. So it's almost like the seed doesn't even fall on the path yet. So that's one way that I might have the footpath soil in my heart. Or it might be I hear it, but as soon as I hear it, I think about something else or I see something else, and so I start thinking about that. And so, although it might land, it does not spend any time in my conscious thought. I do not think about it at all. So our minds, in, in this instance, are not opened up at all. We, we are not ready or willing to hear. That might be some people, you know, they're not right for the gospel. You start speaking to them and they are closed off, they're a closed door. There's no point in even attempting that. Why? Because their soil is not real. And you can try and hammer a seed into a path and it's not going to grow because it won't be able to do any more. Okay, so there's no point when we see that someone's heart is not ready. There's no point in even um, speaking to them. What should we do? Well, I would say we love them. Yes, because remember that if there's hardened soil, there are a couple of things that need to take place. It needs to be watered to soften the soil. And the water is the spirit. And it needs to be plowed up. And so we don't do that by trying to throw the gospel at them. We do that by caring, loving, allowing the spirit of God to saturate their lives. I would also like to say that this type of person might be someone caught between two ideas. Thoughts of the gospel and thoughts of the world. Yes, because remember it's a path divided by two. And so someone who is not taking hold of one idea, they're not willing to take on the gospel because they've got all these other ideologies, these, these um, mind views or, or world views that are filling their minds. And so they can't actually have it planted within them. We'll go on. Other seed, other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. 
So the seed in the shallow soil. <clears throat> the soil it arose, what I mean is, the soil is like this because of poor plowing. The role of the plow is to dig deep under the soil and to break apart the rock and whatever is down there. The, the plow comes through, it's uncomfortable, it's not easy, and it breaks it all apart so that the roots of a plant can go deep down. But if there's hardness under the, under the ground, the root cannot get to grow down, get, go down. Now the plant, plant will sprout, it will come up, we will see it. However, if there's any difficulty, there's a lack of water, um, it's very hot, if anything like that takes place, because of the roots being so shallow, it cannot get, um, access the nutrients it needs from deep down and therefore it dies out. <clears throat> the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. So, our second soil is the, is the soil that produces weak roots. Weak roots are a type of immaturity, right? Yeah. Um, they lack depth. Maturity can be seen as a depth, an ability to dig right down into your character in order to carry on. One who is immature gets excited about privilege but lacks the depth of character to carry the responsibilities. I see that a lot in school. You know, um, we're training up young people training their character as much as we are teaching them to learn. And I see it every year in teaching high school, how the high schoolers all want to have all these privileges. Oh, but now we're in year 12. We should get this, and we should get this, and we should get this. But they are not willing to take on any responsibility. Oh, why should I do that? I'm in year 12. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, if you're going to have privilege, you get it because you carry the responsibility, right? If you have a driver's license, and you get a car, you have the privilege of driving wherever you want, you have the freedom, but you have the responsibility to follow the laws of the road. You have the responsibility to maintain your car. Why? Because otherwise, very quickly, you won't have it anymore. Gil, uh, Gills notes that their desire for a principle of self-love makes them delight, greatly delighted with heaven and eternal happiness. So in other words, what they hear in the gospel is, oh, so I will be free. Oh, so I will get. Oh, so I'll go to heaven in one day. And so their self-love says, yes, I want all these privileges. But because they don't have the roots that can go down and hold them strong in the times of trial, as soon as there's any opposition to the gospel, they fall away. Why? Because they're searching out after that which is easy. I would say there's a very dangerous... Um, movement in the world and it's a sign, one of those signs that the world is coming towards a close it's called hedonism it started out i believe around about the greek times and hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure and i see it in the church as well where people chase after pleasure for me that's a sign of weak roots um, so you will hear it there's some great events and everyone rushes there they buy their tickets first they this, they change their schedule. There's a prayer meeting. Well, that's hard. That, um, it's not fun. I won't enjoy it. Well, actually you would. It would be a deep enjoyment, a satisfaction of growth in Jesus. And so, 
Hedonism is something that has crept in in the church. And I'm referring to the Western church quite a lot. I've been in South Africa, I see it. I see it when I went to America. People are looking for everything that is nice. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy, I think he alluded to this. He says, people are looking, they, they, they have itchy ears. They want to hear the things that make them happy. It's like hedonistic. I want to hear things that give me pleasure. Don't make it hard for me because I'm not interested. That, those are weak roots. There are rocks underneath that are preventing their roots from growing deep. How do we develop deep roots? And, and I think this is important for us. Because there might be times where I have things in the soil of my heart that prevent me from really digging deep and developing maturity in different areas um, with Christ. So the, the number one thing that you have to do is you have to prepare your heart. It's not about actions we do, it's about our hearts. We need to dig out the obstacles that might hinder spiritual growth. That is hard. Remember, a plow, if I were to think of soil, it's lying there, it's comfortable, it's happy, and you take a plow through it, that's not nice. You're digging me up, you're breaking my rocks, it's uncomfortable. But we have to dig out those things, whatever it is, that cause the hindrance of our spiritual growth. So if it is that <clears throat> I'm playing a sport, and the sport becomes a priority, and because I lay aside everything else to play the sport, well, I might have to decide. In order for me to develop eternal riches, I might have to sacrifice for a time the pursuit of my own um, glory, my own physical beauty. Yes, that might be one thing. It might be my phone. Yes, I'm always like this. I'm forever in front of it. Maybe I need to take some downtime. Maybe I need to stop always rushing to Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is. I'm not saying any of these things are bad. Sports is not bad. Going Using a phone is not bad. But when it is a rock that prevents me from developing deep spiritual roots, I've got to ask myself, is that worth it? Is me cycling a 100-kilometer race and taking three minutes off of my time really worth sacrificing my spiritual eternal uh, riches? The next thing, and really this is where we start to really dig out the rocks, is we read and study God's Word. Right? Um, and this is a matter of our will. So I say read and I study our, uh, God's Word, but the rock under there is really my will. Because I have to decide that I'm going to do it. I have to want to do it. You know, people can be convinced of the gospel 100%. They can agree that what they believe is false. But if they don't want to, to accept it, they won't. We have to want Jesus. We have to want His, His transformation in our lives. We have to want to know Him. Because if we don't want to, we won't. Also, I... This is, this is something that has helped me. You know, I hear people saying, and I've said it so many times, you know, I'm really going to try. I'm going to try and read my Bible every day. It doesn't happen. You don't do anything by trying. What trying means is, yes, you know, if I feel like it at the time, and if I remember, then I will. Trying is failure, straight away. However, if I say, you know what, I've decided I'm going to do it. That is an action of the mind. It is not passive. Trying is passive. 
and deciding is active. I will put in place. Later on, oh, but I'm tired. No, but I decided. Because when we've decided, we remind ourselves what we want. And so we have to decide that we are going to do this. If you are trying, I'm sorry, it's passive. It's, it's not going to happen. And I know that from my own experience. And now my words, my words change quite a lot. I, I have to say, you know, am I just going to try? Or do I really want to do it? Am I going to decide to make the change? The study of God's Word. And why I say the study of God's Word? Because that is the thing that tr transforms the way we think. Following on from a verse that, that Brother Rod was, was reading. Romans 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Other seed, moving on to the thorns. Other seed fell among thorns. They grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. So our seed among the thorns, they were often found, and I'm talking physically, thorns are found in the corners of the plots of land. Why is this? Well, because the plow could not get to those corners, so they couldn't dig out the weeds, so the weeds grew there. When I was walking along, because um, I went with my father-in-law, I wanted to go see all the farm. You know, I'm, I'm super excited about it. He's already told Jess and the, and the daughters that everyone's going to have a plot of land. So for me, it's an exciting thing. So I went out and I had a look. And as I was reading this, um, going through this, preparing, my mind just went back there. And I remembered. You know what? On the edges and the corners of all of these plots of land, there were the weeds, there were the thorns and the thistles growing up. It's because the plow didn't get there. Yeah? In this case, the seed has good soil. And, it, and the seed can grow. However, because the gospel is crowded out by other things, the growing seed chokes too quickly. Remember that weeds are fast growers. Interesting, yes? Weeds grow faster than other plants. And so when, when Jesus parallels, compares those distractions to weeds, He's saying that we need to remember those thoughts run very quickly. Much more quick, quickly than the Scripture, which seems to be more patient and slow. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. I, 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 I said choked by worry, but it's not. Choked by worry is only the first part. When we worry, it's actually an evidence of our lack of faith. When I worry, and I do worry sometimes, it's clear to me that God shines His light and He says, you don't believe me. You don't trust that I will take care of all your needs. Why are you stressing? I mean, Jesus said it to the disciples so many times. Yes? He said, oh, ye of little faith. He's not surprised. It does not mean, oh, we're not good enough. No, we aren't good enough. <laughs> That's why He had to die for us. That's why we need the Spirit of God within us, right? Because we're not good enough. So we just got to settle with that. And we've got to go to Him. If you are worried, it will prevent the gospel of taking root in your heart. If you are worrying about how you will provide for family, or how you will get this, or how you will study this, or how you will complete that, it's, it's an evidence that your faith is not really in God. 
And so we need to go to Him. God is gracious. He will take care of all of your needs. He understands that we worry. And so when we go to Him, He will transform us. How? Oh, we remember that verse, yes? By the renewing of our mind, as we go to His Scripture and just read it and wash over it, and fill our minds with His things instead of all these worries, so we start to, He starts to change the way we think. And we remember, okay God, I don't know where it's coming from, but you are faithful. That's who you are. You've promised you will take care of me. So I trust you. So, but it's not only worry. It's also our lust for things. When our affection is after wealth and desiring things, we fall prey to the same temptation that caused Eve to fall. Remember the apple. It looked good to taste. It was beautiful. Or whatever fruit it was. Oh, no. The fruit. <laughs> Let me not be an error here. Yes? So she looked at it and, and her eyes said, oh, that's so good. You know, there are so many amazing things around us. So many things that we would love to have. Yes? And we justify them. <laughs> you can ask my wife. She, she's, I, I leave her. She manages our finances because I know I can justify to myself why I should have something so easily. I can convince myself. But in order to balance that, I safeguard it by saying, love, we have to talk together. And you have to say. And then she can bring her perspective. You see, I can say that I really want to have that new iPhone XS phone because it'll be, you know, it'll be helpful at church because I can search things better. But the reality is, no, my phone is just fine. And it's not going to make any difference, right? But it's that love, oh, it's new. Yes? As soon as we see something new, it's, it's amazing. We just want it. We keep falling uh, prey to that trap again and again. And so when we keep wanting the new things, the problem is we focus all our attention on that and how we will get it if we forget God's Word. And so those things distract us from developing deep roots. Once again, this reflects a mind Influenced by the thinking of this world. This world currently is based on consumerism. You know where the money, you know our monetary value, all currencies gain their value from the dollar. The dollar gains its value from nothing. When they want to make more money, they pull it out of thin air. They've got a the what's it called the um, the World Bank the and that was a careful plan by six men. They put it in place. In, in private, through deception, because at that time in America, people did not want that, because they understood what it is. Uh, we don't understand what it is. This is something that comes from you know, the spiritual realm, which is, has its influence through the hearts of men. And the whole basis of that is that now we need to consume in order to keep everyone living. Because if people aren't making and buying, then people won't have jobs, so they can't survive. You see, it's a thinking of this world. Go back 50 years, people made stuff that lasted 20 or 30 years. Now, things don't last so often. And new things are being made so often. And when we start looking at all of these new exciting things, we just want, and we want, and we want, and we want. And it so falls and absorbs our thinking that we can't patiently dig our hearts and allow God's uh, truth to work all the way through us. Growing 
of strong, tall, tall trees, like oaks, does not happen <coughs> slowly and patiently. And so if we want to be, as it says in Psalms 1, a tree planted by living water, we can't be rushing after the weeds of this life that are quick and moving and changing all the time. We have to be solidly fixed and patient. We can't do that, of course. We have to go to God. Because in our weakness, He will be our strength. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. And they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And the seed that fell on good soil represent those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. The yielded soil. All the types of soil were in the same part of land. Okay, so they weren't in any different place. It's not like the one was desert sand and the one was um, tropical sand. And, no, it was all the same soil. Each was as fertile whoops, as the other. Sorry. Right? Uh, they, the difference was how they yielded to the plow or whether they had the plow working in them. In order to be ready for planting, the soil of our hearts and minds needs to be prepared. You see, everyone receives the Word of God in some form or another at some point. All of us, as we gather here, we all receive the Word every time we come on a Friday. We take the app and we listen. But it's not about hearing. It's about our heart. Where's my heart today? I can say sometimes I've sat down in the rows here. And my mind has been so filled with other stuff that I have not been able to listen and hear. I missed out on growth that I should have had, that I could have had. Everyone has potential for the harvest. Every one of us. Every one of us has the potential to live a fruitful life. No one is better off than the other. But the ones who are going to produce the greatest fruit, because remember in that verse it said, 30, 60, or 100 fold, the ones that will produce the greatest fruit are the ones whose hearts are the most yielded to the work of the Spirit. If I do not yield, let go of my own desire to be king over my life and allow Christ to reign in every corner of my life, in every single one, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my time, what I watch, what I read, what I think. If I do not allow Christ to reign, the ability for me to produce fruit will be limited because I'm not yielding to His Lordship. And we say it, we sing it. Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But I've got to ask myself, time and every day, Jesus, are you fully King of me today? Or am I saying you're king of kings out there somewhere, far away? But here, I'm, don't worry, I've got it sorted. When I do that, I'm in danger because I don't have it sorted. Yes? As soon as we come into trouble, even the atheist who says there is no God comes into trouble. Oh, God, help! They will cry. Yes, they'll pray it. Because really, when it comes down to the crux, we, if we are honest, know that we don't have it all together. We are not good enough. So we need to test our, our own heart each day. How correctable am I? When someone comes and says something to me, 
what is my response? And my wife says, are oh, you being too impatient? Do I snap back at her? Or do I hear what she has to say and make changes? How quick do I repent? So when I snap back at her, do I think about it and go, look, no, I'm so sorry. You are right. How willing am I to repent? And repentance is this. It's not saying sorry. You don't ever have to say sorry to God. He does not require you to say sorry. In order to be saved, you don't say sorry. No, you don't. Repentance is this. I'm walking in this direction. I stop. I realize I'm going the wrong way. I turn around, find the way I should be going, and I walk in that direction. That does not require sorry. It just requires change, change of direction. So how quick am I to not say, oh, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm sorry I did that, but how quick am I, how ready am I to say, I'm not going where I should. Let me readjust my course and set sail towards the, uh, the finish line that I want to be at. Can I self-correct? So I'm working, I'm doing stuff and go, oh, hang on, I need to change this. Am I ready to do that? Am I willing to let go of the things in my life that hinder God's work in me? I've got a game that I'm playing on my phone and it is preventing me because it takes up too much of my time from being fruitful. Am I willing to delete it and say, right, I'm not playing that? Yes? I mean, it can be as small as that. Am I willing to say, it's time for me to get off Facebook because I just keep looking at other people's lives and then seeing what they've got and going, oh, why don't I have as much as that? Whatever it is, you know, it's different for each one of us, but am I willing to get rid of that thing? And what things in my life prevent God's working? Do I know what they are? And I'm willing, am I willing to make changes to get rid of them? So the question for us as we read the scripture is where's my heart now? And what am I willing to do about it? Am I willing to actively let God plow through the soil of my heart so that I can see a harvest grow in order to store up in heaven treasure that will never perish or fade. Let us close our eyes. Lord God, you are amazing. Thank you that every time we come to your word, you show us new things. Thank you so much that your heart is for all of us to produce a harvest. And that you are patient. And that you are kind. May the Holy Spirit, you are active in us. Help us in our weakness, we pray. All of us have our own areas of weakness. All of us fall and stumble at some point in time. Help us to allow you, Lord God, to plow through our hearts. Give us strength to let go of things that get in the way of us knowing your word. So that you may shine through us. That your glory may be seen. And that others may rejoice and come to know you. Because they see you and work in us. We love you deeply. We thank you so much for your word and your work. And your spirit at work within us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please all stand for the response.